Hello, this is Kumba CK, this is Connor, and this is episode 10 of the podcast. Today, I'm talking to Graham Hughes. Graham is a rugby TMO and has worked at three World Cups, including Japan 2019. Graham, how are you doing? Yeah, good, thanks, Connor, yeah, yeah. Great stuff. Uh, do you mind uh, telling me a little bit about your background in rugby, i.e. where it all started for you? Uh, it started back in, well, at school I started playing. Um, grammar school education, so we were one of those that played rugby for a first term and then football for the second term. Uh, when I went to uni, you sort of carry on and you join in with everything. Um, I did actually get injured while I was at uni playing rugby, um, which um, curtailed a little bit. So when I came back, I sort of concentrated more on the football. Um, but then that side of it became more difficult because they're expecting you to train regularly. Um, and I've just got a job. So um, one of the first working with happened to be playing senior rugby. I mentioned about a refereeing course that was going at sale and off I went. And yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nice. It kind of went from there. So, um, how long were you a referee for? Uh, I started in '82, um, finished in 2004. So, so that's that. Okay, quite a while. 20, 22 I, I, years. Yeah, geez, that sounds like quite a haul. So, how did you find the refereeing side of things? Um, at the time, it was one of those because we were all amateur at the time as well and so that's I mean it's obviously different now with it all a sort of professional game but yeah the, the interesting bit was sort of juggling things probably more than anything um, having to go back to work Monday uh, I remember the, one of the funniest ones I was actually uh, I was ahead of year in a school and uh, believe it or not I'd got a late call up for a European game um, at the weekend and so I'd managed to sneak off, which again was another exploit sort of thing. Without the colleagues I had, you know, you wouldn't have got as far. Um, because again, you know, it's somebody to cover you and you couldn't do it regularly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'd snuck off on the Friday because I had to get a flight, obviously, to do the European game. And uh, yeah, got back on the Monday morning. We'd landed very early on the Monday morning and into work. I'd actually been to Romania for the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, get back in on a Monday morning and we go, oh, you have a good weekend, where did you go this weekend? Romania. Nah, you didn't. Yeah, I did, obviously. <laughs> so yeah, those sort of things were interesting. Um, I think that's probably, I know sort of one of the things that you'd, you'd be interested in is the challenge side of it. And, um, you know, those sort of physical challenges or personal challenges, mental challenges. I think they're the differences between the then and now. Um talking obviously to the lads now where it's their job there's obviously different challenges but obviously the time side of it is far easier to manage they, they've got that freedom um, but with that becomes more responsibility they I know now do far more in terms of reviewing games uh, liaising with the clubs the clubs will feed in after a game um, and expect responses to sort of queries to do with why did he give this or hang on what was wrong with this and which in our day it was still very much taking us nah mate that's right you've given the decision happy days move on 
Um, and on the Monday, you were just then back doing your day job. And by Thursday, you started to think about what was coming up the following on the on the Saturday. But in between, nothing. Whereas I think now that these days, the lads are full on. So there's different challenges that way. Um, and equally, mentally with that, it, for us, it was always a hobby. And I think there is still part of that, even though I'm still involved now, um, you know, at the senior game and the professional end, there is still that feeling that, although, yeah, you, you understand the pressures and you, you still take it very seriously and do your best you can. But for me, it was always that secondary thing. It wasn't the be-all and end-all. And so, yeah, maybe that's helped a little bit with the pressure. Yeah, okay. I yeah. see where you're coming from. It all does sound like different era, different time. I suppose it's the same in a yeah. lot of sports. Yeah. Can I ask you, how did you get into the... the players? The players feel the same. The players are what, sorry? The players must feel the same. I mean, again, you know, the players used to... There was a, a sort of unwritten rule that people always sort of said things about, oh, you know, you often heard on the pitch if something had happened, one of the players would say to the other players, so they go, oh, come on, mate, I've got to go to work Monday. Whereas now, hmm, yeah, it's a bit different, isn't it, I suppose? But yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, no problem. It sounds it. Yeah, definitely great insight from you. Um, how, so let's move on to being a TMO. How did that come about? Um, I finished in 2004. Um, I said I'd stop refereeing when I stopped enjoying it. And for some reason, that season just felt like a drag. Um, I'd just been... I don't know, just sort of driving up and down the motorways and stuff. And I was thinking, oh, this is, oh, dear, I don't enjoying this. Um, so I just walked away at the end. Uh, but then I was persuaded to, I did my referee coaching course within Northern Group. And then the following year, the RFU sort of pulled me forward and back onto the panel as a coach. Um, but interesting, even that one, again, sort of got towards the sort of March time and the lads who I was coaching... Um, there were some decisions made that I didn't agree way they were done. I agreed with the decision, um, but the way they were done was all about, well, what was the point of me being there? So the end of that season, to be fair, I just said, oh, look, don't, don't give me anything this year. I'm not bothering doing it. Um, and Ed Morrison was the boss of the referee department at the time, and he phoned me up in November, it was, Um and just said, oh, I didn't know what you were coaching. I didn't realise you, you weren't doing anything. And I said, no, no, it's fine. I finished at the end of last season. I'm yeah, just sort of watching odd games and things. And uh, and he said, well, we're looking, we're starting this television artificial thing. It was the first season they were doing it. And he said, we, we could do something up for. So I said, well, what do I have to do? He said, go to game and watch the telly, really. And I said, oh, well, fine. <laughs> so I went. <laughs> Yeah, that's quite a good way of looking at it. Yeah, watch the telly and make the call. And, um... and to be fair, at the time it was because, I mean, we were, I went down at Sale Northampton on Boxing Day and then down to London Irish on New Year's Eve. Um, and that was it. You're off and running. And uh, But you, you really did just sit there and watch the game. And, and the only thing at the time the referees could ask was, was it a try, yes or no? So, as you know, quite a few of the games, there's not a lot to do. Um, you know, if the tries are pretty open and pretty clear, yeah, regularly used to come back from games and people say, oh, what have you done today? Nothing. 
<laughs> no. These days, no chance. There's not enough in there. I don't. There's a, I can't remember the last game where I did nothing. So yeah. So um, how have you dealt with say the pressure of the role of being a TMO? Where like nowadays you have to do something. How have you dealt with the pressure knowing that you know there's going to be a lot of fans? Well, when fans were in the stadium, are going to be mm. angry by the decision. How do you deal with that responsibility in a way? Um, the same as when you're actually sort of refereeing. And I mean, I used to love refereeing at Kingsome with the shed, and you know, because you it's one of those things you hear reactions, but you don't listen. Um, that's a weird concept, but that's you have to operate like that. If you start to listen to what they're saying, and it's a bit like, I suppose, the actors reading reviews in the paper afterwards. If you, if you start to read the reviews and believe them, you know, you, you will go back out the following day. And I think, you know, if you listened, listened to the comments that came from the crowd while you're refereeing, <laughs> you'd, you'd never go out the following day. So, yeah, you do hear them. And some are quite funny, actually, to be fair. You have to struggle sometimes to try not to laugh. And, um, so, yeah, I think it's equally the same as that. The minute the signal goes, or, you know, I mean, I say these days it's a bit more you are full on because you really are having to watch um, a lot more intently. But, again, the technology's changed. Um, but, yeah, originally... Uh, yeah, you really were. I was sort of sitting back, and you you only did move forward towards the screen a little bit as they got towards the twenty two, but quite often you just go all right and sit back, um, and yeah, almost just watch game from home. But interestingly, um, the development in terms of what we've got in terms of TMO, one of the things that you will quite regularly hear now people talking about is the delayed screen. Mm. And that was actually as a result of that because that's actually what you're watching at home. So we're in the in the, the TV van and we see it live, but it goes up to a satellite and comes back down. And it, that is about a seven-second delay. And so what you found was we were watching, sitting in the van, and you had your main screen that you were there, but up on the big bank of screens in front of you that the director's working from was another screen that was as if you were at home. So that's where that came from because, yeah, quite often you'd be sitting sort of like, oh, yeah, there's nothing really to do. And all of a sudden, oh, God, that, oh, here we go, here we go. Yeah, so you'd watch the try or something to happen and be like, whoa, that's a bit. And then you'd learn to look up and look at the other screen because you could immediately see it again. Now, nowadays, that's part of the, the kit that we have in front of us. There are two screens at least. One's normal and the other is the delay. Every game that a TMO is at will now have the two screens with the delay. So there you go. Sometimes it, it produces things that you don't expect. Yeah, of course, I can imagine. So uh, in your role as a TMO, you have been to three World Cups, I believe. Do you yeah. mind telling me more about what it's been like to go to... World Cup tournaments, which are obviously huge. How did you find being chosen to work on Yeah, unbelievable. Um, New Zealand 2011 was an interesting one because um, we'd only really... It was 2008, after the 2007 World Cup, to be fair, when they decided they were going to start appointing sort of TMOs who were TMOs rather than using the referees. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
So we'd sort of got a couple of years doing that. But uh, to be fair, at the time, none of us really expected, and you know, the sort of TMO at World Cup, you'd think, oh, you'd just carry on and they would go back using the referees. But then they said, no, no, we are actually going to use um, some of you as TMOs. And, and uh, so that, yeah, that was like, oh, that's going to be interesting. Um, yeah, and going to New Zealand was just, was brilliant. Um a real experience but yeah in terms of the tournament side of it yeah the different pressures there because obviously you you know we were there for eight weeks um as a squad uh, and yeah, the media spotlight side of it the you are as a goldfish bowl you know even walking around in new zealand because everybody's that mad and you know we were traveling for some bits of it and some of the places you go to and unbelievable. So, but generally, yeah, in terms of it was a fantastic opportunity. Um, 2015 then was back over here in England and that was slightly different, um, differently organised, squad feeling. That one, uh, squad was felt a bit more together. Um, and again, yeah, it was still quite new because they used quite a few football grounds. So, yeah, to go to St James's Park and Villa Park and the Olympic Stadium, things like that, was oh, brilliant. Um, yeah, and Wembley. Um, so that that was really good. Just a bit disappointed the way England did, but there you go. Um, and then Japan was just the icing on the cake, really. Um, I'd fallen out of favour internationally um, a couple of years ago. Uh, before that and we're sort of going around uh, into the US rather than having done South African New Zealand's the ones before and things like that um, but I thought we'd sort of settled not differences but the way that a different um, feeling I think in terms of the way things were going but accepted by then that yeah I probably wouldn't go to the World Cup because Kitty had come through um by then and was probably our top TMO in England. So I was like, well, you're not going to take two from the same country. And so, yeah, to get that phone call, I really thought it was a wind-up. Um, and, yeah, they did take two. And, and so, yeah, to go to Japan was just, that was something else. And uh, a great tournament and a fantastic place. So, uh, but, yeah, yeah, I sound like a tourist, don't I? But I think that's, again, it's probably part of it because, yeah, professional when you're there and you're doing your job, but, wow. One opportunity to go and uh, see some of those places and somebody else is paying the bill. <laughs> That's a great yeah. way to look at it. Do you uh, kind of, when you're there, yeah. are you very well minded that you've got the job to do, but do you also try and fit in some tourist stuff? Like you also think, I'm in Japan. Yeah, yeah. very much so. I think otherwise you'd go, I mean, again, it's, it's slightly different. I understand that again because the lads, the referees were there and the ARs, you know, they are full time referees. So they're training. You know, there isn't a lot we can do in terms of training. Yeah, we're looking, we you know, we have meetings, we have clips to look at, we, we discuss various things, but, you know, it's easier for the lads to be, they were certainly in Japan, they were like, you know, picked up nine o'clock, off they went and they didn't get back till midday because they were doing training. Well, you know, we're not going to, three hours, what are you supposed to do, you know, as a TMO? So, yeah, very much so, had you not sort of that taken that on board and, and got and done something you would have felt I'd just gone stir crazy just in the hotel all the time and what an opportunity you know you, you just you know go out and and see Japan it was it was like, even England you know around going around England traveling around to games and things I've tried to go out and see things you know even when we were based in London and I'm not that far 
myself, but yeah, to go out and go and see things and do things because otherwise yeah, you just go mad. So yeah, that's a great way to look at it. It's a great way to make the most out of the job you do, especially the bit where someone else is putting the bills. So <laughs> you go and fill your bills. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um regarding the game of rugby, obviously with this pandemic, whenever it will end, rugby will obviously struggle as a result. Um what challenges do you think rugby is going to face and how the game is going to be affected by Corona? I, the, the club game is what I fear will change. I think they've probably lost. I would think by the time we get back to it, you'll probably be talking, I reckon, 20% of the players at grassroots sort of level. Um, you will probably have, have gone. Um it's so easy to suddenly find other things to do um, or be found them for you. Um, that That's worrying. Um, my physio, actually, to be fair, is quite interesting. It was a, She um, works with one of the national one teams um, and it was actually, we were having a bit of a laugh actually before the, the, the lockdown because they were then from Kent having to travel to Taunton, Colley, Sale, Darlington, Mountain Park, uh, Leeds, and looking at the fixture list, like, wow, you know that's hell of a lot of travel. And I, I wonder. I think that might never happen. I think we'll find you'll probably have the Premiership, Championship, and below that, it will be regionalised then. Um, so, which actually, in some ways, might help the game survive a bit more, because I don't know how they fund travelling that far. You can't take fans or things like that, really, that distances. So, maybe it'll help. But no, the grassroots side, it'll be the worry in terms of retention of players. And I don't know. I mean, yeah, over the time, I remember playing for a six-team of <laughs> my club. You know, how many teams these days are running? Six, six teams, clubs are in six teams. I don't know. Yeah, of probably course. looking to get three. Quite so that that I think is a bit sad. Um, I junior, you know, the junior side of it seems to be thriving. Um, I know even you know when they were talking, when they got a bit of a gap and they could go back and and that they were still go. So I hope that side of it survives and to be fair that's the future but it's that interim bit I just think we've probably lost quite a few sides to put it that way yeah. which would be a shame mm, yeah okay it's obviously challenging hopefully kind of rugby is able to cope with it in the next coming years we don't know what's going to happen with the pandemic but just got to hope that it all sorts itself no. out yeah yeah I mean even like professional game they are the fact in the moment they're not really sure if the championship you know, he's going to restart. They're hoping it's going to be March, but again, it's, you know, yeah, really. Yeah. And it is, you know, even looking at the things, you know, that is it five of the England squad who are the Saracens players haven't played since November. You know, they're not played a game since November, and you're like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not hmm. ideal, is it? Yeah. Um, can we then now just, um, what we usually happens on the podcast is mention kind of personal challenges that people have faced. In terms of your own career in rugby, whether this be as a player, I know you mentioned your injury, whether this be refereeing or as a TMO, what have the biggest challenges been for you, whether this be physical, mental or financial or anything else? 
Um, as I say, I think early on it was sort of balancing things. Um, the RFU always said that family came first, and to be fair, they have always sort of kept to that mantra. That if there was ever a family crisis or anything to do with the family, that they, they you know, even up until like a couple of hours before kickoff, you could cry off and it would never be counted against you, something. Sort of um, so that always help but there was still that balancing because obviously it's still different if you you know young family and having to be away traveling um and a world saturdays and even that now i mean you know i mean sort of it's still very much regularly <laughs> you regularly hear us saying to people there's no point in arranging things over the weekend he won't be here um so that side of it is always a challenge um no matter how far you go, because yeah, you, 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 you're away, aren't you? So, and and it is a lonely, it, it is a more lonely career. Let's put it that way. The, the officiating side, when you when you're playing, you're you're part of a team, and no matter how far you feel as if the officiating team is a team, if you think about a team travelling to an away game, they tend to go on a coach, and they'll all be together. We as a refereeing team, it's a team of four or five who will turn up at the game, but we'll all five turn up individually because we very rarely come from the same place. So, yeah, we're a team on the day, but there is that side of individuality. And I think that does take its toll and you do have to be aware it, it, it physically, mentally, it is tough. And again, I said before, where you, you do hear, but you don't listen. But occasionally you will hear something that you perhaps don't want to hear and a reaction that comes through. And even, you know, we get it still now with the TMO because we do hear bits of the commentary. Um, they do turn off the commentary while we are adjudicating on decisions. So that's something that people may not realise, that we don't actually hear what the pundits are saying while we're making a mind up. So quite often the people will think that, oh, yeah, he's just following what so-and-so said. We've not heard that. Mm. Um, but in between that, while the game's going on, yeah, we do hear the commentary and things. And again, it can be quite difficult sometimes if, if what's being said... Um, could be quite personal in a way about a decision made by the referee who's one of your team. Um, yeah, you, so again, there's, there's those... It is sort of challenging mentally, and I think probably that side of it more than physically, certainly from our point of view. Yeah, there's not a lot of physical challenges from the referee, apart from keeping your finger uh, active. But yeah. Uh, so yeah, they're, they're, yeah, that's... The officiating side, it's 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 quite lonely. Uh, yeah, that's probably the the challenge. Mm. Yeah, okay. I appreciate the insight. I never really think of it from that perspective that the referees will turn up individually or the TMOs will turn up individually. That's what makes me think. Oh, yeah, of course. I just I never really gave that much thought. So it's great to get some insight from you. Uh, well, coming up toward well, at the moment, mm? the moment of the pandemic, we're not actually in the grounds either. So, because oh, oh. obviously the lads have been there full time, so we're turning up to the games, but we're actually not in, the, we're not allowed inside the ground because obviously they're red zones and you have to have had 
the forties and everything. So yeah, in some ways that's you know, we're turning up, going into the van, going back into your car and going home. So uh, yeah, there you go. Sorry. Yeah, no, no problem. Uh, yeah, it's great to hear that side as well. Uh, what I was just going to say is, um, I think we're coming towards the end of the conversation. As somebody who's spent, you know, most of your life in rugby, whether that be playing, officiating, being a TMO, how important yeah. do you think rugby is? And what advice would you give to a young person looking to start out in rugby? Go for it. Um, yeah, get involved. I was saying at the time, I we played a lot of sport um, and I sort of went then with the football when I came out of uni because obviously with the, the injury side and carried on with the football. But that I found difficult because there didn't seem to be that um, camaraderie, maybe let's put it that way. There was a, your own team spirit, but it, it was... It wasn't very social, let's put it that way. You sort of played a, a game, picked lumps out of each other and basically then disappeared. Whereas with rugby, there was always that after the game, you had a chat, had a drink. Um, so, yeah, no matter what you seemed to do, there was always the social side afterwards where, you know, if you, you, you'd buy somebody a drink and sit and have a chat with them. And I think that sort of carried on. So, from that point of view, anybody thinking about what they want to do, yeah, go and play rugby. Um, would I recommend anybody to go and become a referee? I don't think it's something I would say uh, set your heart on as a career without having been involved. I don't think it's something that you should wake up and suddenly go, oh, I'm fancy being a rugby referee. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's yeah, go and play, go and enjoy it as far as you can. And yeah, maybe if you suddenly can't play anymore, a bit like I did and then go on and you know you look at somebody like oh now Carl Dixon you know he's playing at Quinns as a full-time professional player he came up to contract renewal and now he sort of moved over and, and referee so I think that side of it you know you play and then move in but definitely if anybody's thinking about you know go yeah and you've got little kids get them down to Diddy's and get involved it's, it's great yeah definitely yeah, that's great advice. So, um, finally, I suppose, uh, what's next for you, Graham? <laughs> what's what's actually next is the next game on Saturday. But there you go. Um, I don't know. We'll we'll have to see because again, with the pandemic, the internationals at the moment we've been taken out the frame a little because of the, the testing. Obviously, with the, the lads being tested um, twice a week paid for by the union so obviously it's there's a financial burden that way through so they're using um all referees again for, as tmos so it's, it's almost gone back to how it started um so whether or not that is what will carry on or whether or not we get the chance to go back in once the pandemic's over and they back up tmos i don't know um I just yeah keep going uh, as long as I'm enjoying it. That's the main thing. So uh, yeah, yeah, great stuff. So yeah, going to wrap this up now. It was uh, great to chat to you, Graham. Thanks very much for your insight. I really appreciate it, and all the best for the future. And you, yeah, no worries. Thank you very much. Cheers. Bye bye. Cheers.